Access more. Are you ready to talk about uprooting your life, moving to a new city, and ending with a good meal? Then this episode is just for you. It's about time because we're going there. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of We're Going There. Before we jump into our interview with the amazing Shauna Nyquist, I just want to take a moment and say thank you. I am honored that you tune into the show. The feedback and the love shared online makes our guests, and if I'm honest with you, me, feel like there's people on the other side of this podcast who are in this journey with us. So thank you. I want to take a quick moment to honor and shout out Kels Ellie is the name of the podcast review. Uh, Kels, if, if it's Kelsey and I'm calling you Kels and your name online is Kels Ellie, I just want to say that your review of the podcast meant so much to me. Uh, your feedback feels like fuel and the love that we pour into this podcast should feel like spices to a meal, okay? And who doesn't love a good well-seasoned meal? And yes, it's a t- at the end, okay? Because you just don't want to be salt and pepper. Uh-uh. You got to have all the seasoning in there, okay? Today, we're talking to author, writer, and chef Shauna Nyquist. And she won't necessarily call herself a chef, but because she has a cookbook for crying out loud, I'm calling her Chef Shauna. It's been a few years since I have spoken to Shauna, but listening to her life transform on this podcast and even just through reading her books over the years has been a joy. Shauna Nequist is a New York Times bestselling author of Cold Tangerines, Bittersweet, Bread and Wine, Savor, and Present Over Perfect. She's married to Aaron and they live in New York City with her two sons, Mac and Henry. They will be getting a beautiful cake stand on behalf of me to them for their time. It'll make sense in the podcast. Don't worry. Uh, But my favorite memory is making a delicious blueberry dessert. And hold on, guys. Hold on. Get ready for this. Bringing it to her for a live interview at a conference that she is speaking at. Am I weird? Is this weird? I don't know. Probably. Do I care? Not really. I believe that words are like food that can nourish the soul. And so I wanted to put her words to work. The best part of this interview is the recipe that I asked her for at the very end of the podcast and one that I'll be making and posting on social media. So if you make the recipe, post it on socials and I will repost you. Um, And if you're a newbie chef, don't worry about it. Just show us getting down in the kitchen, okay? And if you're like, um, no, thank you. I don't cook. The only thing I make is reservations. Hey, it's all good. Let me know where you're listening to the podcast. Are you on a walk? Are you in the gym? Are you stuck in traffic? Let me know where you're tuning in from and I will share it online. Before we jump into the conversation, I just want to do a quick shout out to David Ferris and Stephanie Way. That's Stephanie W-E-I, who won copies of Yvonne Orgy's book, Bamboozled by Jesus. Listen, y'all showed up for her interview. You guys loved her interview. And she actually reached out and told me that the tags and the feedback that people were making online made her feel so loved. So thanks for being my people. And I hope that you love Shauna as much as you loved Yvonne. Uh, Shauna, I'm so excited that you are on. We're going there. Thank you for your time and saying yes. It's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. It's been a long time since we've connected. Okay. So I didn't ask you when we first hopped on to start recording, I didn't ask you, when was the last time that we saw each other? I feel like I might be, we had a meal together with a whole group of women. Oh, you know what? You're in, right. And it was like a really, really delicious Thai restaurant. Thai restaurant in Austin. Was that in Austin? Yeah. Yes. I forgot about that time. I was actually thinking of um, another time that was probably the time before, and it was in a, a random city and you were speaking at a conference Yes. And you told me about your inordinate love of Cobb salads and just your, <laughs> your, your no, 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 uh, club sandwich. It was a club sandwich. 
And I remember that club sandwich. Yeah. And I don't even know why I remember that that memory, but you were just <laughs> so tender and you were so kind. And this is, this is interesting. The person you are off stage or off platform or off microphone is even better than the person that everyone loves on stage. Oh, so I just want to say thank you for those that don't know you. Just thank you for keeping it real. Thank you for being real. And I'm excited that we get to catch up formally and um, hear about all the things that are going on in your life. But uh, for those that don't know, Shauna is one of just a profound writer for this generation. So you are the author of Cold Tangerines, which I've read, Bittersweet, which I've read, Bread and Wine, which I've read, Savor, which I have not read, Present <laughs> Over Perfect, which I did read, and then your most recent book, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And there's so many questions I want to ask you and catch up on. So thank you for being on the show. Oh my gosh. It is great to catch up with you. And thank you for saying that. Those are such kind things to say. Thank you. Okay. So the last time that we connected, last time we spoke, you were living in Michigan and oh, I'm sorry. No, you were living in um, Illinois mm -hmm. yep. and, and life looks so different. You are now a resident, official resident of New York city. Talk to us about this like life change of going from the Midwest to the big apple. You know, it was a million different things that, that got us here, but we have loved every day. I wake up in this city, happy to be here every day. And you're right. It's a huge change. We were lifelong Midwesterners. We lived in the suburbs. Um, we were like really kind of deeply invested and connected to our world there, long-term friends, our entire extended family. And then we moved to, uh, we've never lived in a city before. We've never lived in an apartment before. We've never not had a car before. We've, <laughs> we've never just attended a church before. It, it was just like 1 million different changes. And it's been so great for our mm -hmm. family and for me personally. It's been a real challenging, but also life-giving time. Now, a lot of these changes happen. So we can talk about change and look retrospectively over the last two years and say, oh, wow, there's been a lot of change. But you were, there was a lot of change that happened even before COVID and all that was going on. So talk to us a little bit. I know you are a mom, you are a writer, you have a heart for the church. You um, love to cook. I think one of the things that I love most about your writing is when you talk about food, when you talk about table experiences, it is one of my favorite things because it's it's like, it's my heart. It's a kindred spirit. Before we dive into any more transitional stuff, I'd love to know, like your heart for the table, where did that come from? The embryonic stages of what you saw happen around the table and how it shaped you. Well, so I think most people, and I, I love that that's something that we share. Um, I think most people who grow up to love food and cooking and the table, it's because they grew up with like a grandma who was always cooking or a mom who was always hosting. And that was not necessarily my experience. Um, I adore my mother and I love my grandmother. Like my mom would not say she loves to cook. She would not say she <laughs> loves to entertain. She's very introverted and she's very, very much a deep thinker, a poet, a creative person, a researcher, a writer. And I think I, uh, I grew up in a really quiet house. It was a lovely, loving, wonderful house, but I had cousins who were part of a really big family and I really loved <laughs> how it felt at their table. And I really loved, I, I liked kind of the boisterousness, the energy, the, the, 
volume of a big table. And I also, I grew up in a family of people who don't care about food at all. Like not at all. I'm the only one. If we go out <laughs> to eat, I literally would order for all of them because I, I would just pick things I wanted to taste. They're like not yes, food people. Yes. <laughs> and so I think from a young age, I just remember being like, am I the only one here that's starving? I guess. <laughs> Like, am I the only one here that cares about, you know, like we would go on vacation and I love, I especially love cooking on vacation because there's no like time. You're not rushed and usually in like a beautiful place. I love grocery shopping in different places. I think the best way to get to know a new place is going to a grocery store. Like what are like their, what's in their deli section? What are their like local delicacies, all that stuff. And so on vacation, I would like pretend I had a cooking show and I would make them sit like at the bar and just like pretend you care. Okay. Can you ask like a follow-up question? They were like, I guess, when are we going to eat? I'm like, that's not a follow-up question. So all that to say, I think, um, I, I think there was a part, I, I didn't have anybody else to share this love of food with and this love of the table with. And so I invited people as soon as I was old enough to have my own table, I got a really big table and started filling it with people and food has always fascinated me and feels like a really um, amazing way to connect with people. And so um, feeding people and gathering people around my table was, you know, as soon as literally, as soon as I had a table, that was the, my favorite thing to do. Okay. So I will say that after reading, uh, cold tangerines and bittersweet, I made a blueberry crisp and, um, you were speaking at catalyst conference. It's a leadership conference on the West coast. And I was kind of running the backstage interview process. And I remembered when I got the call sheet of like, you were going to be one of the people I interviewed. I was like, I am going to make Shauna a blueberry crisp. <laughs> I remember. It was, and it was yes. your recipe. And I just remember, like, I just wanted to express my gratitude for you, for your words and what you were doing around mm. the table. And little did I know, little did I know, Shauna, I've, I see, I grew, I am your cousin's family. I grew up in a large boisterous family. I love to cook. My dad loves to cook. My grandmother loves to cook. So it's just been passed down. And so I'll never forget. I was reading some of your stuff about like just the power of the table and what happens there. And my husband uh, just became level three sommelier. And so I was like, okay, we're going to do food and wine nights. Little did we know that we would start a church out of food and wine nights. And so life is bananas. And I think that what you caught on and what you were able to pinpoint is so much transformation that happens around the dinner table. So I love your heart for that. I love what you're doing. Okay. So, so much of your writing, so much of your cooking, it comes from your heart. And a lot of that started there in the suburbs. And then you have this desire to move to New York. Now we're back in New York, this transition there. um, Talk to me about, you don't have to tell, I don't, I don't want to know your age, but like most people move to New York. Most people move to New York when they're like 20, trying to discover themselves. And it's almost like you had this kind of like reinvention of you. And it wasn't just for you. It was for your whole family. So take us for those that are kind of like on this, on this moment of saying, I want my life to change. And I know it needs to look different, but I don't know how to take that plunge. Will you walk us through your process and the why? And also one of the things I loved your most recent book was you wrote about mourning and you walked into this small church and there was um, a pastor that was speaking and there was something about her words that were so cathartic for you and so healing for you. So even in this saying, yes, even in the taking the leap, there's this like mourning. I want to know kind of like that journey to the yes. Well, so I will say Erin had wanted to move away 10 years before I was ready. And 10 years is a long time in a marriage to be talking about the same thing. And one of my great regrets is that I didn't 
listen sooner and that I didn't make the leap sooner. I was really attached to a picture of how I thought my life and our life was always going to be. Yeah. Um, one of the things that really helped me looking back, and this seems like such a small thing, but it isn't. I grew up in an environment where you stay in your hometown and you raise your kids in the same school system that that you went to. And there's this very like settled, you talk about your forever house, you live in the same town as your family and all your friends. And very, uh, that was the way. And I happened to meet a group of parents who went to their kids, went to school with my kids and they um, had moved into our town, but they were like families that had moved over and over again and they valued it. And it was like a good way of being. And so when I expressed this, like Aaron really wants to move, but that's like wrong, right? Like we don't move. People don't move. We stay where we are. Right. They were like, actually, no, we've moved several times. Um, we've moved across the country. We've moved to other countries and they started talking about it. And they said, it's been great for our marriage. It's been great for our little family. It's helped us understand different parts of the country. It's all this whole list. And they started looking back on it. I feel like God sent those people into my life mm. to expand my thinking. It was wrong for me to think there's only one right way to be a parent. There's only one right way to be an adult. There's only whatever. This couple, these couple families that I only shared a handful of meals with over one summer opened my mind and my heart to the idea that there are a lot of different right ways to live and that moving isn't always only the wrong thing or bad for kids or bad for families or how dare you take your kids away from your grandparents, whatever. <laughs> there are just a lot of right ways to live in this world. There are a lot of good ways to live in this world. And so having their voices in my mind made me a little braver when it came time to do it. And then the other thing was, as much as when you live in the suburbs, it seems like you should only move to the city when you're 22. Once you get to the city, you realize like, oh, there are a lot of people here and they have kids, right? <laughs> this has been happening all along. Like, it's not like you turn 28 and they kick you out or like you have your first baby and they're like, there's New Jersey, right? Like lots of people have been raising kids in cities forever. Forever, yeah. And we just got to be a part of that. And some of what's been so freeing for me, I think you you had mentioned to me that so many of the people that listen to this podcast are a little bit younger, say, and I'll, by the way, I'm like not funny about my age at all. I'm 45. Um, when I talk to people now who are in their twenties, one thing I recognize is, and I was very much like this, there's a sense of having like a plan and an order. And I, I want to mm -hmm. be here by this date, this by this date. I want to have this degree by this date or have, be at this point in my relationship or this at this date. And we, we set up sort of like these imaginary futures for ourselves. And we think that when we get there, we're going to feel settled or safe or like we've arrived. And now when I hear someone say those things, I think, oh, I'm not going to be the one to tell you, but you have no idea what's coming for you. None. You don't know what's going to happen in your relationship. You don't know what's going to happen in your parenting life. You don't know what's going to happen in your extended family. You don't know what's going to happen to your own physical health, to your career, right. to the job you love, to the, we are so much less in control than we think. But once you learn that the hard way, once you watch the future that you thought you were going to have evaporate in front of you, you realize I'm going to need a real different skill set for this next season. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be about old friends and long-term friendships and certainty and roots and stability. 
It's going to be about learning to ask for help and learning to be lonely and learning to belong to myself and learning to sit in the back of a church and not be right in the middle of the action. And that's good too. It's a totally different skill set, but one that I'm really grateful to have learned at this point. You know, one of the things that I love just in this season of your life is when we, you, we read stories uh, that are kind of like coming of age tales. And it feels like when you are 22, 25, 30, that you should have everything figured out and you know how life should work. And I think in your most recent writing, uh, I read a relevant uh, article that came out recently. It also uh, Publishers Weekly had another article with you. And it's just this being okay with discovering you in a new season. And so I think one of the key components, and maybe this is just, maybe I, I could I could be slanting this interview, but I think one of the things that I'm most afraid of is mourning and that loss, because for you to go from the Midwest to go to New York and take, I mean, the, the, the boys and, you know, your whole life, your whole life and get rid of so much of what was your house and go to, okay, first, for those that don't know, I, I love what I read about like where you guys are living and like the changes from a Midwest house to like a city house and what that's like, has there been sad? Has there been feelings of loss? What does that look like? Oh, I mean, there have been oceans of loss. Um, and one of the things that is uh, the most true is every big change contains both. Even if you chose it, you're still losing things. And even if you didn't choose it and are kicking against it, there are still good things. Every change has within it the light and the dark, the possibility and the loss, the joy and the mourning. That's how our lives are. That's how most seasons are. But I mean, I mourned leaving our hometown like I had lost a loved one. Yeah. I, I, it was really sad for me. I had a whole group of friends that were like just my best, best friends in the world. And sometimes we grieved really well. And also sometimes we just pretended it wasn't happening. We were like, let's just not talk about it for a while. Let's just stop. <laughs> we're not going to do that. It's really hard. And even silly stuff, you realize how attached we are to like our possessions. Mm. Like there were, I, I did like a major purge. I mean, I sold a bunch of stuff, <laughs> donated a bunch of stuff, gave away a bunch of stuff. We moved here with so little. It was like, I was going to my freshman dorm. It was so, <laughs> and it was mostly like really, really good, but there were a handful of things that had sentimental value that I shouldn't have gotten rid of that. I, I missed to this day. And I, Wait, well, now I'm on, now I'm on, yeah. now I'm on a cliffhanger. What, what were one or two of the items you wish you wouldn't have got rid of? Cause I think so. Yeah. I'm an emotional hoarder. So I would be afraid of throwing things away. What did, what did you have to get rid of? Well, so I will say I, I got rid of so many things that I felt fine about, but we had had this little tradition with our boys. Their birthdays are 10 days apart. They're five years apart, but their birthdays are end of September, beginning of October. And so we would do their separate birthday parties with their kids, but with the extended family, we do one party for both. And they're not totally one of them, especially is not totally a cake guy, but they're like big time donut guys. Okay. And so I bought two cake stands and I would make like a pile of donuts for each boy and then put the numbers of the candles in them. And so I had two matching cake stands. I don't bake. I don't make cake. I don't put things on cake stands. I had no use for them except once a year, I would make the donut tower with the candles. And so I was like, of course, these do not come to New York with us. Like I'm bringing like three sweaters. I'm not bringing two cake stands that I use once a year. Um, 
And then their birthdays came around and I was sad to not have them. And I know I can get new cake stands and I know I could probably even, it's not like they were from like an artisan. They were from like, I don't know, world market. They probably still exist. I should just track them down at some point. But that, that was maybe the only thing that I felt like I went a little too far. Like I I should have kept the cake, cake stands. Okay. So I, w- I want to go back to that conversation about moving in morning. Um, but I think this is going to help just provide a little bit of practical handles because people can, uh, my, my fear is that someone's going to listen and say, Oh, that's good for Shauna or Shauna had the chutzpah to get up and do it, but I can't see myself doing that. And so, uh, there's this uh, psychologist. I love her. Her name is Esther Perel. And I listened to all oh, of her. I love po- her. Oh my I'm God. crazy I, about her. I, I literally want to go get counseling with her. If you ask my twin sister, Jasmine says I single-handedly fund all therapists in the world. But I love, I love her. Okay. So you'll resonate with this. One of her key lines is that every every individual would change (laughs) seven to 10 years and that we become a different person every Mm -hmm. seven to 10 years. Now she's relating that to marriage and relationships and how essentially you're married to a different person every 10 years. But what stuck out to me is now in this age of 45, what served you well in your twenties that prepared you for your thirties and what served you in your thirties that prepared you for your forties? Well, I would say a couple different things. Uh, Number one, one of the super fun things about living in New York is I know several different people who have either met or worked with Esther Perel, right? Can you, why are we doing this right now? Are you serious? I know. Yeah. Like I said something to somebody and they were like, oh yeah, I gave her a ride home from a party once. And I was like, what? Yeah. Uh, Another person. Yeah. I know you, you, you right? are not on social media in the way that I would want you to be, but you need to meet her. And then please just, just for me, just take a photo and be that creepy person. I love her work. I, I love her incredible. work. I do too. I, I think you need an interviewer. You'd be, oh, that would be such a good, she's amazing. Oh. I would love to. Okay. Anyways, I'm having visions of grandeur. Okay, Carry on. Good, so good, yes. yes. What prepares you? Okay. So yeah, I, I like the idea that some things in your life prepare you for the next things. I, I think that's lovely. I I, w- I hope it works that way. I would also say you become the person you need to be in the moment and mm-hmm. you find what's inside and you always do. And some of it, I think, especially publishing, especially any kind of public life, but even anybody with an Instagram account, there's this idea that you're like, curating an identity, right? I'm the one who this, my hair is always like this. I always eat this food. I always talk about these things. You know what I like? Um, one of the things that's always been really hard for me in publishing is I, on my team has like so tired of hearing me say this. I'm like, you know, I'm not a mood board, right? Like I change and I change my mind and I change my hair and I like different stuff. And you can't keep trying to sell the old picture of that old girl because I'm not going to keep being her. I reserve the right to keep being a human who changes, who gets it wrong, who likes different Mm. stuff than she liked 10 years ago, who is interested in different people and ideas than I was 10 years ago. And so in some ways that idea has always been really important to me. And then moving really pushed me into that. I realized a lot of us determine so much about our identity based on what we belong to, who we're connected to, where we live, who we spend our time with. I I was sort of borrowing so much identity from my environment. Yeah. 
And then there's a real, te- there's a real temptation. Everybody knows that person who moves somewhere and then is like immediately a hundred percent that thing, right? Like I become like, <laughs> I'm New York guys. It's me now. I'm the New York Shauna. You have and- big hoop earrings and <laughs> coffee. <laughs> exactly. Just like a hundred percent all in everything I wear is like the I heart NYC thing, you know? Um, and I really resisted it's not that I don't want to be a Midwesterner anymore, or it's not that I don't want to be a part of my, the church of my childhood or the, my hometown or my extended family or anything like that. And it's not that I don't want to be a New Yorker. Mm-hmm. It's that my identity doesn't need to be tied so deeply to anything except who I am right now and the way I walk through the world. Mm. That's really important to me right now. Okay. So on, on that note, I feel like I'm jumping around because there's so many amazing things that you're saying. Outgrowing mindsets and teachings. You had mentioned this in your most recent book about how our identity is framed sometimes by those around us, even our family members. And my father is a local church pastor in Los Angeles. And I, I wear way more makeup and I have long hair and my dad's bald and doesn't wear makeup, but everyone always says, God, you are so much like your dad. You're so much like your dad. And I realized after reading um, some of your writing that our identity could be honed in the likeness of someone that we love and adore. Walk with me through kind of like deconstruction and finding out like who you are as an individual away from your family, away from your home church, away from the area that you grew up in your whole life. And what does that mean now? Well, I would say, again, it's less about taking off one identity and putting on another one. It's more about taking off 1 million identities that you've picked up and put on over the years Mm. and being willing to sort of live almost like a makeup free face, like an identity free, Mm. like, like there's no thing I'm putting, putting on to tell Mm. you who I am. I'm just going to show up right in front of you. And you're going to learn by walking with me through my life. Mm. And I think anybody who grew up, I mean, all of us, no matter that I watch this with our kids, you take on so much from your parents. And then Mm. the work of being an adult is taking off those identities in search of your own identity and your own place to stand in the world. And I think if you have a family that's public at all, it's harder to do that. It's exponentially harder to do that. There's a lot of cultural pressure for you to sort of um, perpetuate the same similar, some of it's silly, it's mannerisms or phrases, but some of it's really big views on the world and ways of being in the world. And I think it's a very important point of growth, but it's also very painful to say, I'm going to walk away from some of those right now. And I'm not going to be a paler version of a different person. Ooh, I'm going to be just my own self, no matter how painful that is, no matter how lonely that is, no matter how non-spectacular that is, there's something about being your own self in your own skin. That's always going to feel better on the inside, even if the people on the outside don't like it as much. Ugh. okay. So this is this conversation. It's a podcast, so no one's going to see this, but I have, um, I had to come from a shoot earlier. I have probably 15 pounds of makeup on, and there's something about the simplicity and the scariness and the truth about a makeup free face. Now, most of the listeners, I'm going to apologize for every guy that's listening out there for the three guys that hold it down and listen out there. Thank you so much. But for the most of the women, I think like this idea of everything is like, you mentioned it, a mood board, everything is perfectly polished and pretty and there's filters and it's airbrushed and it's wrinkleless. There's something right now that just feels very refreshing and yet hard about sans free life, no filter 
filters, no makeup, no additions, but there's something that feels um, refreshing. And I think as I was reading the book, I guess I haven't learned that yet. There was something that was just so simple about it. It felt like sourdough bread. It's bread, but there's this uniqueness and lightness to it. And then some parts felt crunchy and some parts just felt like, like a soft place to land. And so take me on this journey. I love, I love talking about writing and the process of writing, but what inspired the beginning of your most recent book? Well, so, you know, as as we've talked about, I was just in the middle of the most significant series of changes I'd ever been through. And I got about halfway through what I thought halfway through the writing. And then there was a global pandemic And we lived in a city (laughs) that was entirely new to us. And we'd only been there for like a year. Um, And I remember, I remember asking my agent, like, what do I do now? How do do we keep writing? Are we still reading books? What happens now? Like right at the beginning of the pandemic, like we just didn't know what was going to happen. And he was like, I hate to say it, but I think the skills that you have learned the hard way, walking through cascading changes in every area of your life are exactly the things that we're going to need in this next season of our culture. And I was like, are you saying I have to finish this book? He was like, I'm 100% saying you have to finish this book. And he was right. Um, I needed a way to understand my life after what, uh, there were seasons during the last several years where I was surprised I could still recognize my own face in the mirror. I felt so altered, so Mm. changed, so different. Right. And I wrote about it in order to make sense of it in my own life. And then we all experienced it collectively, this sense of cascading changes. And who am I, if I'm stuck in my house, who am I, if I'm all alone all day, who am I, if I don't have the job I used to have, who am I, if I'm so afraid of the future that I feel paralyzed, you know, all of these questions that all of us had to start asking felt really similar to the ones I had been asking for a couple years already. And so this writing experience was different than any other that I've had. I always write in a pretty like, um, I write it first pretty like wide open confessionally. And then I edit, 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 give it lots of time, give it lots of space, you know, uh, get other people involved. This one felt much more real time, much more immediate. I cried a lot as I wrote. Mm. I sat and stared out the window for like hours and hours at a time. I really struggled with this one, but the process of writing it pushed me to learn some things about myself and about the world that I would not have learned any other way because I would have just avoided so many parts yeah. that that I had to look full in the face in order to write about. And ultimately that was really healing and I'm proud of that. So that's, I think the freshness that I'm getting, it just feels very like now it feels I'm going back to bread. I'm going back to sourdough, but it just feels like you're eating it now. It feels like manna, Mm -hmm. if we can use a biblical illustration, but it's just, I'm, I'm really excited for people to like read this season of your life. And I love the title too, because I think it gives us all permission to be like, okay, with not knowing it. Was that any part of the planning process or even in title ideation, like you're giving people permission to not have it all figured out? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, and one of the things that's interesting is so, you know, obviously I started off with titles that were like totally obscure, cool tangerines. What is that? I have no idea. No one knows. Um, I mean, I know, but no one knows till you get to the last page of the book. And even then it's not like a resonant image. But then one thing we found that I found is present over perfect is a meaningful idea Mm. beyond the book. Even if you don't like the book, even if you don't read the book, even if the book doesn't matter to you, that idea makes sense to people and it's meaningful to people. And so I like the idea of a title 
communicating something and meaning something, even if people don't connect with the whole book, oh, it's like, great. you know, like, why not um, give people a phrase? If, if all they want from you is a phrase that's valuable, I'd be so happy to give that to them. And it was a phrase that was very deeply held in our family. And then I have a friend, one of my favorite New York friends, I was out to breakfast with her. And um, I was telling her the story about how when we had just moved to New York, I wrote a piece of paper on a piece of paper. I guess I haven't learned that yet <laughs> as a way of helping our kids manage like the, just the chaos of the moving process and being learners instead of experts and how it's okay to ask for help. And I was just telling her that at breakfast. And I said, and I feel like it's so true in everything. It's true in my marriage. It's true in my writing. Like, I just, I guess I haven't learned that yet. And she was like, there's your book title. And I was like, <laughs> you're kidding. She's like, no, hundred percent. There it is. And I was like, Oh, I think you might be right. And totally. she was right that day at breakfast, but it has been a phrase that has kept me company mm -hmm. and reminded me and given me permission to be compassionate with myself and with the people around me. It's allowed me to be curious and brave. It's allowed me to ask for help instead of isolating because I should know all the answers. It's really brought a lot of healing and freedom to my life. And so I'm delighted to get to share it with people. Okay. So I want to round this up and kind of close out with talking about your faith in the process. So mm -hmm. moves and life transformations always kind of reveal things that we didn't know what was inside of us. And so what does faith look like to you now? What does who is Shauna becoming now in her exploration and discovery of God, family, faith, and spirituality? Well, one of the huge gifts of this season, and I would, anybody who's been um, either a pastor for a long time or a pastor's wife or a pastor's daughter or a person who works in a church or anyone who has kind of carried the emotional and spiritual weight of a church community. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you know what I mean in mm -hmm. your experience <laughs> in lots of different contexts to have a season where you get to come in late and sit in the back and not carry that weight. It doesn't have to be forever, but if you can have it for at least a couple of years, it is so healing. You can't even imagine mm. to get to receive on lots of levels. And so, like, I'm not like, I, listen to me. I can't even, I can't even like say, I just sit and receive. I'm like, I'm a volunteer. Don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm helping. <laughs> I'm We're serving. I'm in Don't church. worry. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> but like, I just grew up, um, church was such a central part of who I am and I love it so much. And I think I understand why people walk away from the church. Of course I do. I also understand why it's worth staying. Mm -hmm. And I would say my faith has become exponentially more precious and central to me in the last several mm -hmm. years. And that I'm less concerned with a lot of the particular issues of the day. And I don't care at all about arguing who's in and who's out. Uh, mostly in for the record is what I think. Um, and I don't, the, all the different things that trip us up about churches that do this better or that better, or that, like, I just don't care. Create a space where I can sing and pray and stand shoulder to shoulder with other Christians, where I can confess, where I can say the creeds, where someone can tell me something meaningful, where I can hear God's word read aloud. Yeah. It's all I need. And I will show up every Sunday for the rest of my life. And I'll be a great volunteer and I'll help it happen because I, I still believe very, very deeply in the church gathered. I believe in Sunday mornings. I believe in showing up together. I believe in the old hymns. There's a lot that we've gotten wrong in the American church. Of course, I could fill 700 books on that. And also I'm going to show up in church on Sunday because yeah. I still think beautiful things happen. I still believe in prayer and forgiveness and 
God's spirit working in us and helping us trust ourselves as we move forward in the world. And so my faith has shifted a lot, but not away from anything, only toward the person of Christ and what he's doing in our world. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'm so excited about not just what you have written, but what you continue to write. And um, the way that you write is like setting a meal and it all comes together so beautifully. And so in light of sourdough bread and your love for cooking <laughs> and loud families, if you had one meal to cook right now, what's the thing that you're dreaming about when you are hosting and entertaining? Well, I will tell you, I love good bread, but I'm not a great bread baker. Okay. Um, but I do have a, I have a neighbor who makes the most delicious, beautiful sour, sourdough bread. And so since you've been talking about it, I think what I would say is I would make a very, um, I'd make a soup. I'd make like a really hearty, thick stew. Probably it would probably be like Italian sort of flavors. So I'd start with, um, an onion, maybe a shallot, garlic, carrots, tomatoes, fennel, maybe some fennel sausage, maybe white beans, oh, spinach, yes. like a very hearty and then lots of Parmesan. And then I would ha- ask Julia to make a sourdough, um, some sourdough bread. And then I would do a green salad with a very aggressive vinegary um, vinaigrette. What's the um, acid in the vinaigrette that you're going to use? Maybe apple cider vinegar. Okay. I used to be a big balsamic person, um, but I'm switching out more often to either red wine vinegar apple cider vinegar or lemon juice quite often. Um, and then, uh, we would have sparkling water and red wine and for dessert, there would be blackberries and like a, a couple bars of dark chocolate, just like broken up into pieces and then a big bowl of blackberries. So this recipe is going to be in the show notes for this episode. (laughs) And I want people to tag you and let them know what one element or all the elements of the meal that you had just stated. And I'm going to tell you right now, I promise you, I promise you, I'm going to cook this meal. I'm going to snap a photo and I'm going to be posting it online because this sounds absolutely divine. Shauna, I I love the way that you cook because it's the way that you write and it's with love. I'm so (laughs) happy for Aaron and Henry and Mac. I mean, I feel, I, I feel like I've seen them when they were itty bitty and now you're raising like full men in New York. It's bananas to me. It's bananas. But you know what I love? You know what I love? You haven't lost your Midwest accent. <laughs> I know. I can I heard it a couple there. Times. I heard it right now. I know. <laughs> Apple I know. cider vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I I think I've lost it. And then I was talking to my kids about like Valentine's Day. <laughs> and they were like, oh my gosh. I was like, nope, I heard it too. There it is. Yeah, no, I, I it's totally still there. I am sending you <laughs> and Aaron so much love in New York. Please Thank you. love the city as much as I do from afar. I can't wait uh, for this book to get into the hands of people. Um, and for those that know, this is what I love to do. Five lucky listeners will get a copy of this book. I personally will go into Amazon and ship it to them directly. And all they have to do is tag at S Nyquist. That's N-I-E-Q-U-I-S-T. And you know how I remember that? It was at that Catalyst interview when I said, how do I pronounce your last name? And you pointed to your kneecap and you said, Nyquist. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, never forgot it then. So that's my mother-in-law taught me that. Okay, S Nyquist. Yeah. And that's your Instagram handle. Shauna, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you thank for your words. You. I so value you. And just, I'm excited to see what's going on in this season of your life. Who's ready to whip up something delicious after that episode? Friends, thank you for tuning in. I'm grateful for you and I can't wait for you to check out next week's podcast with some of my most favorite people on the planet. 
I can't wait for you to join in. If this podcast has benefited you or you know somebody who will enjoy it, hook them up, share this with them, share it on social media, share it online, text it, email, send a homing pigeon, but let them know about where going there. And don't forget to subscribe on Access More or wherever you are listening to your podcast. Much love, friends, and we'll chat next week.